times have you found yourself sitting where you're sitting, doing what you're doing, running where you're running, walking where you're walking, thinking, if only I could hear a really fantastic story about either someone I know or someone I've never heard of, but I want to be inspired and I want to hear great conversation and questions and I want to laugh and I want to cry and I want to feel something, but more than anything, I want to connect and I want to believe in the human spirit again because out there, not in my ears or face to face, I'm not feeling connected to humanity. Well then, you've come to the right place. This is Talk To Me and I am Liv Harrison and I cannot wait to introduce you to my friends, to my family, to people I love, to people I barely know. Here's the deal, I love people and all I want is for you to love them back. Hi and welcome to Talk To Me with Liv Harrison. This is a very special bonus episode. I kind of teased that I was going to do a little something extra, but I wasn't sure if I was going to, so I kind of left the door open. That way I could decide yes or no, and I decided yes. <laughs> so, you know, it's the middle of December when I am uh, recording, filming. It's December 2020. We're about to hit Christmas. Everyone is waiting for... like December 2021. Everyone wants it to be a year later. Today was a good day. It's St. Lucie's feast day. Yesterday was Our Lady of Guadalupe. And today the vaccine started rolling out of Michigan. So for those of us who are majorly quarantined and have all sorts of medical issues, today is a really fantastic and fun day. So what is kind of different about this episode well, so far everything about it's different, is I'm not going to do my normal type of intro and I'm not going to do my normal type of anything. I'm going to just kind of go right into it. I have my first ever, no, that's not true. This is my second ever in-studio guest. My first one was my daughter, Kana. That's really sad. (laughs) Just running through the family to get good content. My second in-studio guest, I guess my first adult, how's that, is that okay, is sitting next to me. This is my husband, Nathan Harrison. We have been married 20 years. We've been together 26 years. We just had that anniversary, November 30th, for when he asked me out in high school. We're high school sweethearts. I've talked about our relationship. I've mentioned things here and there. If you follow me on social media, at the Liv Harrison you see me talk about him a lot. And if you're lucky to be friends with Nathan, which he is the complete opposite of me, then you see him talk about me as well in our relationship. Nathan is a quiet kind of a guy. And this is the point when a friend like Taylor or someone else says, well, yeah, Liv, because you won't shut your mouth. He hasn't said anything, but that's also called Nathan. So (laughs) without further ado, please welcome... The hottest guy I know, Nathan Harrison. Well, hi, how's it going? <laughs> okay, that's your microphone. Right. Okay, so we're talking into it. <laughs> yeah, you got to make sure. I'm an amateur, so usually. You're not an amateur, but you're a lot. Quieter. What else are you? Oh, a lot of things. <laughs> but I do talk a lot when I'm passionate that's, about things, so you may yeah. have to control me some, because I'm passionate about you, and I'm passionate about what you do. What else are you passionate about? 
Uh, I love Boy Scouts. I you love do. leadership. Yeah. Right. I like. I, I'm. You were the Boy Scout. What were you? As an Eagle Scout. Yeah. No, I know. Okay. Oh, yes. Like the senior patrol leader. Oh, the, no. oh, the scout master. You're like, killing I'm so me. many things in scouts. It's oh kind of amazing. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you were a scout master for almost three years. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you were an Eagle Scout and your son is an Eagle Scout. Right. My dad's an Eagle Scout. Your dad's an Eagle three Scout. Three generations. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that you're like, okay, pause. Why? Why do you love it so much? What is it about? Well, I think, I think scouts is the best way to learn leadership in the outdoors. Like there's a lot of great leadership programs out there for boys and girls, yeah. you know, but I think scouts gives you the opportunity to practice how to be a leader mm-hmm. versus just talking about being a leader or in, and honestly, I think in a lot of other leadership situations, you don't have the stress of maybe kind of dying you know, like you could die you on could a camp. You could die in Boy Scouts? Well, I mean, like you're on a camp out and like, I mean, there's been times when like. Why have you never mentioned this to me? Well, it's like, you know how I usually <laughs> wait till we get back from the camp out to tell you that we almost got bit by the snake. Like, or, or yeah, a rattlesnake. Right. Zach like almost got bit three times. Three times. Almost got struck by lightning on top of a mountain. But Zach did a good job because he Zach learned. Zach is our son. How to be a leader. Yeah. And he did a good job of leading both boys and adults. Okay. Where if you were like in 4-H or you're in the debate club, right? It's just different type of leader. Exactly. Okay. So what else are you passionate about? The Catholic faith. Catholic faith. Uh, you. Me. Well, Did I think you I already say said that? that. <laughs> I'm like really, I like double passion for you. So, you know, our kids, um, uh, my work. Um, that might be it? That's your list? Yeah. Travel? Yep. Travel, the outdoors. I love the outdoors. Why me? Why are you so passionate about me? What is it? What is it about me? For real. I mean, let's, I wish this were a beer. It's a Topo Chico. <laughs> <laughs> Just be honest. I mean, I think people that know you know you're unique, but I don't think people realize just how different you see the world, you know, and you see it really different than me. So I'm constantly like, uh-oh, that smile <laughs> right there. <laughs> Actually, like that <laughs> smile right there. Oh my gosh! I just got an extra one out yeah, of that. Yeah. That's a special. That's a. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, that look at. I'm it. constantly like. Wow. Like you know, wonder and all. Like God gives you wonder and all. Uh-huh. Like when I hear you think out loud. <laughs> Wait. I, think about how you're gonna say it. I am in awe of. That's an option. I mean, like you know. You mean perplexed. It's not so much perplexed because like, it, it's more like, why would you think that? You know, like, and, and then it's like, <gasps> why don't I think that? Really? And so I spend the rest of my life trying to figure out why I don't think that way. And then try to figure out since we're one as a married couple, how do I, how do I bring that, that point of view or perspective to make me a better and whole person? Right? Like, so at first you're kind of judgy about it. I'm always judgy. Like, let's just be upfront. Like, <laughs> I'm judging right now that you asked me if I'm judgy. You know? Also, you look so adulty. Nathan put on a, look at this. Yes. He was in a I didn't have a pocket protector, so I'm just with this. <laughs> you, you had a sweatshirt on. You were just watching the Texans play the, don't tell me, Bears. Correct. Chicago Bears. I mean, you can call it playing. I mean, it was pretty bad, lost. bad. Bad loss. So yeah, it was a bad playing. loss. And then he went and he put on a brand new pressed 
dress shirt. We're filming and recording on a Sunday. You're going nowhere. Yeah. During quarantine, this might be the third time I've put on a shirt like this. <laughs> and you put on slacks. Yeah. And you have on those I've never seen. Those yeah. are nice shoes. Yeah. I have on a very comfy shirt. I have jeans, new jeans, size 12. I've never worn size 12 since like maybe toddler years. Yeah, like Pretty excited. And no shoes. Because <laughs> I'm a Louisiana girl. And I'm sitting crisscross applesauce on the couch. And Nathan is sitting like an adult. And I was raised by two people from the South, from Mississippi and Alabama. And it was very important. If you're going to do something professional, dress the part. So I'm dressing the part because I'm usually an So amateur. I'm not professional. No. I, <laughs> I am at a professional area. Like, this is professionally type thing. Yeah. And so. But we're all, but I'm also very real. Right. And I'm very not real. We are. A there's robot. a TV show called Dharma and Greg. That was out for a little bit. It, I don't actually know how long of a bit. <laughs> it was I out. Say, like in, enough for a box set. That's a good point. And the guy in it is he a lawyer? I, I feel like they're so. always a lawyer. Anybody like Nathan on television that we relate to is a lawyer. <laughs> like he's a funny. You're a financial advisor, right? And and then there's Dharma, and she's a very free spirit. Um, my son Zachary, who's 17, thinks I'm very much like Lorelai Gilmore. <laughs> We are very similar, and I think that's true. I think you're very much like Luke, you know, the guy right. that owns the coffee shop. Right. Like, no emotion. I could also be Lorelai's mom, though. Like, I mean, even though, like... You are Lorelai's I mean, mom. she's pretty, like... I married get, Emily. Yeah, Gilmore. I mean... This is already... Why is this not... Again, I'm going to question. <laughs> Zach is our producer, and he got me a topo. We're going to fix that for the next time. I'm going right. to teach that kid how to open up other things. <laughs> it's a joke. Uh, right. <laughs> I'm not... I don't think it's funny because <gasps> we shouldn't be teaching our child to open things. Okay. Go ahead. Except for his mind to get smarter, mm. which that's a whole different episode. So Nathaniel, which is not your name. Correct. But I call you Nathaniel all the time. Right. How do I do that? Back to the first question. You know, you do things <laughs> different. So what, okay. What is the most thing that's, you know what? Let me try this sentence all over again. What is something in the past that I've done that really made you go do the judgy face and uh, and maybe you still don't unjudge it? Like you're still like, and yeah, I'm never going to understand that or be okay with it. Well, I think you've been pretty open about like your issues with food, right? Like yes. on the podcast. Well, I just was super open. Right. And I think... I you met me heavy. Like th this is like, since you asked specifically about a judging thing, right? Okay. Like you, you don't feel good when you eat bad foods, right? And so I'm constantly like, hey, do you think maybe we shouldn't eat that? Because it makes you sick every time you eat it, right? And you're like, um. Ladies, how do you think I take that when my husband says, hey, do you think you should eat that? <laughs> and I'm like. Yep, double fisting it now. Like that's well, my well and so like I still say that now, and obviously you really don't say that anymore. But but I think it's important. Like obviously you have done a lot to be successful. So when I'm saying it now, I'm legitimately saying, hey, you the really last time you sick. ate that yeah. stuffing, it you made you bed, sick. Right. Not that you're a heifer for eating stuffing, right. right? You know what I'm saying? But I mean, no, you really are concerned about my phys. I I literally get sick. Like I actually get right. to the point of getting sick like in a bathroom situation. And then I am in bed for four hours, at least on a good day. And I get sick maybe once a week, right? probably ever since my surgery. 
Um, the very first one in 06, right. I get sick in bed at least once a week. I'm in bed sick from food and I miss things all the time. Yeah. I had to like peace out of zoom calls or I, when we had a life, I, I wouldn't be able to drive. I wouldn't be able to go anywhere. So it's legit. It's like an actual physical ailment that Nathan is trying to save me from. What? And I get, and I'm like, <laughs> well, and I think it's important for people that don't know my story at all. I mean, yeah. I also had gastric bypass. You did. So when I'm saying to you, hey, don't eat that, I know why not to eat that because it makes me feel bad right. too. And I think, I think to like kind of some of the conversations we've had recently, like I'm not telling you with malice or any desire to hurt you or make you feel judged. I'm doing it because I care about you and I would do anything for that, including making the uncomfortable statement of, Hey, are you sure you want to eat that? And you've told me probably at least a thousand times, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> and I'm like, I am and a I punk. still and I'm still like, I'm a punk. are you sure? And yeah, you're like, I'm a jerk. So so I think I think the way though that you and I think that goes back to I try really hard not to do things that bring me pain. And I think you try to do things that you don't really care about you. Right? Like right. you're like uh, you'll do lots of things that really are for others, right? Because you want them to feel important and you'll put whatever is important to you on the back burner generally because you want to make sure that that person feels comfortable. Because I never want anyone to feel the way that I have felt my entire life, right. which is uncomfortable and which is without a voice or not to be seen a bother. Like my, my existence on the planet is something for me to apologize for. Right. So I never want anyone else to feel that. So it's like, oh, let me just do all these things for you. But that is that is trapped inside my whole weight story of, you know, which I shared about when I when I would walk in and I don't know because we were very different large people by mm -hmm. the way. And I I was larger than you. I got larger than you. I got I got to 458. Right. What is your highest weight that you got to? I tell people like 350. I don't really know exactly, but like I went from 350 to 300 to 350 to 300. And like, I think I was back down to like around 300 when you're like, Hey, I don't think you're heavy enough to have the surgery. Why are you even I thinking mean. about it? You know, I was, and, I was, I was not supportive. But I was also seven inches taller than you. Yeah. You're so, six, one and a half and I'm five, four. Right. And I was, yeah, I was not supportive at well, all. I guess it's like nine and a half. I can't even do math. I'm I, like, yeah. like I was going to notice. Right. Well, <laughs> but someone else might. And I'm like, I want to make sure that they know that I'm a financial advisor and I do know how to do math. <laughs> now you are really successful at that. And I want to talk about that, but you, yeah. So you were, you are six, one and a half. You're almost six, two. And the highest, you were in the three fifties right. and you got down to the three hundreds. And I was angry. I was like, mother Russia, which is what we taught our kids to say. <laughs> it's from Animaniacs in case anybody wants to know. I was angry because I had had the surgery and I don't think anybody could tell. I don't feel, I feel like no one has been able to tell my weight loss journey until now, mm -hmm. until quarantine. And now people are like, oh yeah, okay, I notice. And I'm like, what? Like 286 pounds later and people are like, I'm starting to see what you were mentioning. And I'm like, I just want to scream. Nathan eats a carrot at noon and at 6 p.m. people are like texting me like what's Nathan doing he looks incredible and I'm like he can go run into a wall like I know that's a very common male female thing I'm gonna blame it on height right but I was not supportive how did that make you feel when I was not as a spouse you were so supportive of me getting a surgery I got it 
What, what year did you get yours, actually? Was it after my second surgery? Yes. Okay, so, what wow. I'm like six years out. I think yeah. I did 2014. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I see, I think this again goes back to fundamentally the, the difference between you and me is I was like, I don't care. I, I know that I need to- You didn't to care s- that I didn't support you? I mean, I cared, but like, I wasn't going to let you not supporting me because I believed in myself and who I need. And like, I was like, I, I need, I know I need the surgery. I know I'm unhealthy. I, I'm not going to sit around and wait for your validation when I know that my cholesterol is high and I'm 300 pounds and my family has a, a horrible history. You know, and I, and you know, going back to the whole thing about what my passion is, I wanted to be able to go with Zach on hikes and I knew I couldn't do it. So I had oh, the surgery. Oh, back to the Boy Scouts. Yeah, I, I had the surgery okay. so uh-huh. that I would be able to go do Philmont. And you know, Philmont's a big scout place. Well, I got to hike the same place I went with Zach 20-ish plus years later and it was 100 times easier than when I was a youth when I played football and I was in quote-unquote shape, you know. Um, so it was, it was completely worth it, right? And I think ultimately... Um, when I look back at, I mean, I can remember sitting in our old house in the chapel library that we had, right? And we, I remember having the talk there and you're like, Nathan, you're not in bad shape. Wait, in the house we just moved from? Correct. We had a talk in that chapel. Okay. Here's something else. I remember nothing. (laughs) I am Dory the fish and Buddy the elf. They got married and had a baby and named it Liv Harrison. It's the truth. I spaz out. I will spaz out about your cup of coffee. And I will absolutely, that is exactly how I am in and New York And then you'll City. bring that, someone will bring you that cup of coffee. And be yeah, like, what is this? The, and like, this is the best, the cup, best cup of you coffee. You love this coffee. I was like, this oh, I did? Oh, so good. Right. Well, anyway, and then I will forget everything. So Nathan, it, which is the best and worst thing about me. I think you still think that because we'll have fights or discussions <laughs> and he'll come back and I'm like, what are you even talking about? Right. And he's like, that was the biggest thing that's ever happened in our lives. And I'm like, I do not recall. <laughs> right. So anyway, I don't know what you're talking about. So I'll believe you. Yeah. We had a conversation and what? And you were like, you were like, I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you, Nathan. I'm pretty upset. Like I'm, God. I'm getting, I'm, I'm, I'm lighter than you for the first time. Yeah. That you was know, a big deal. Um, that was a big deal to me. But again, I think our journeys were very different. Yeah. And I was doing like, I don't know how to say this the right way. So I'll just say it. That's my, that's me. Right. Is like, I think I always do things with, with very right purpose and intention. And I think sometimes you, you, you struggle with why you do things and whether I do it right or wrong, I just do it. Right. And that that's made some mistakes. Clearly, I've had plenty of mistakes in our marriage and in our life. But you're very you you really seek out. And I think it's, you know, now that we know the anxiety and the depression and all that stuff, I think you really are anxious about making the right choice. And I don't we've decided I don't have any anxiety like, you know, it's just generally not me. And so that's probably where our journeys came from a very different spot. And I wasn't anxious about how you felt. I just knew that I needed to do this for, for me and for our health. And, and I was worried, you know, you were very sick, even still after your second surgery. And I wanted to make sure that our children had a parent. I mean, to be honest, that's why I did it, you know, cause I wasn't sure. And, um, for, for a whole lot of reasons. How often have you had that fear that our child, child, <laughs> we have more than one <laughs> that our, our children, uh, we'll only have one parent. Um, I'd be lying if it, I told you it wasn't multiple times a year. 
Every year? Every year since we've been married. And since, mom, since we had a child, I thought. Oh, you know, yeah, that's true. Yeah. We added, we got married in 2000. Our first child came in 2003. Our second one in 2010. Right. So 17 years, you have been scared every year. Right. Multiple times for different reasons. Yeah. What were the reasons at the beginning of our marriage? Um, I thought you were just going to have a heart attack or, you know, you have a going to diabetic shock or, you know, something like that. Cause you had really bad diabetes. I mean, you had really bad diabetes, you know? Right. Um, and I remember, you know, like when you had Zach, you know, that was really scary. And I mean, you know, even fast forwarding, you know, after we had Kena, you know, I think one of the hardest parts in our marriage was your hysterectomy for, mm, for yeah. a lot of reasons. We, it was one of the areas that we didn't really connect well. Cause I had a very, like, being completely honest, I had a very almost tug of war situation where I was devastated that we couldn't have any more kids, right? Yeah. And yeah. but I couldn't express that because I was also equally relieved that I didn't have to go to forty-five doctor's appointments and hope that they didn't say we, you know, or I mean, I watched you, you know, have extremely low blood pressure and like we were worried you know and doctors and nurses run in you know with zach and when i was giving birth to zachary my right. blood pressure bottomed out and so did the babies and that's how i ended up with emergency c-section right right and so i mean it's something that i i deal with consistently you know um and I knew that when we got married like i did i wasn't going the diabetes in. showed up before we got married so right. you knew that yeah, you I knew I was heavy before we, we got married. You could see me. Yeah, so I knew our vows, good times and bad, sickness and health. Like, I don't necessarily knew if I knew, like, I'll be honest, I didn't know all the sicknesses. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I knew you were overweight. I knew you had, you were going to have some health history. But, I mean, one, we were young when we got married. But We were 22. But two, I don't think I really understood, like, and I don't think most people understand what mental illness is or how to support somebody there because I, I mean, I could write a book on the mistakes I've made trying to support you and, oh, you know, it'll be okay or you, you'll, you'll be just fine. Because I got diagnosed with my mental illness. Um, I was 37, I believe. Is that correct? Or was I 36? It was after the hysterectomy. Mm -hmm. So maybe I was 36. The, no, 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 because I had the hysterectomy at 37. Okay, so 37. Right. And I'm 43, so what is the math there? Bud? It'd be six-ish years. Yeah, well, actually, I mean, you're about to hit your anniversary for your hysterectomy. Hysterectomy, yeah, we'll yeah. be right, is yeah. this month. Yeah, so about like six, six years, yeah. Six years, okay, so, right. So we've been married a while. 15 years. 15 years. Let's just, I mean, we're just going to round up. Yeah. It's not like anybody's sitting over here like, we're not getting audited. I mean, like if somebody really needs us in writing and really cares, sure, I'll go actually find out. But we're going to just guesstimate. All right, 15 years into the marriage, and how many problems do you look back and say, God, I didn't know that that was Liv acting out of mental health issues? Because I got diagnosed at 30, whatever, 36, 37, with extremely severe anxiety. When the person who diagnosed me um, told us this, 
She works for MD Anderson, which is a really incredible company, um, company, hospital in Houston, Texas, and they specialize in cancer. People from all over the world come to MD Anderson in Houston. Houston has an incredible medical center. And she does a type of therapy and a type of treatment for breast cancer patients at MD Anderson. And she was the one who gave me the test and who called me. And on the phone, her voice was so fascinating because she was just very, you could tell she was like shocked. She didn't know what to say. And she's been in this business for over 20 something years. She's really beautiful. Not that that matters, but she's like really pretty. Her name is Sarah. And she was like, I've never in my life in mental health seen anyone's tests come back like yours. And that was a hard day for us. And it was also a really amazing day. And, and depression had not entered the door yet. It was there. We didn't know. I mean, nobody even talked to me about being, you know, severely depressed or that, that I suffer with that. They were so concerned about how insane my uh, numbers were for anxiety because your brain makes certain brain waves, right? Brain waves are a real thing. And the brain wave that calms you down is called the alpha wave. So when we get scared, which I've, I don't know if I've ever seen Nathan scared. <laughs> Nathan will walk in the room and he just walked out and he walks back and I fall to the floor and I'm like hyperventilating in a bag. And he's like, what is wrong with you? Is that part of the time that you're judging? Right. Yes. I <laughs> definitely judge when you scream and it's like the alarm set. I'm here. I don't understand. And you just went to get the popcorn that I told you to go I, get. To, to I know, be honest, I, know I can think of two times in my adult life that have been scared. Okay, hold on. I want to hear what those are. So, yeah, so the alpha wave comes in and it chills you out. Like, you can move on with life. I can't move on with life. So to measure that, they measure it in hertz. That's how it's measured. Like, you know, your weight's measured in pounds. So you're supposed to produce 12 hertz of alpha wave. When they tested me... I produced 0.7. They had never, ever <laughs> found anyone. See, again, this is why I'm always got to be extra. I always got to be extreme. Like, oh, you have mental illness? No, you know what? You have this. It's so ridiculous. 0.7. And they were like, I don't know how you're functioning. And Nathan's reaction was, she's not. Okay, so one of the two times that you were scared in your life. Absolutely, 100%. The first time was when um, you and Zach's blood pressure dropped. I thought... I was in labor. Yeah, you were in labor. They had just given you an epidural. And they had screwed a screw in Zach's head, in his skull, inside right. of me. He's still inside of me. Right. And to they screw, him. yeah, they like screwed it into his little brain, well, right. his skull, so they could monitor. Right. And then they gave me the epidural. And then you're, and, and it's funny because the nurses, there was a day nurses, which the whole joke was like the day nurses were like, you know, they're like army nurses, basically. And but at the time, I'm glad it happened at the daytime because these ladies knew what to do. They were amazing. Like, and the doctors showed up like later, you know, like they normally do. But you know, I was really worried for like probably like five. What minutes. happened? Like, because I don't. Well, you 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 like kind of like because your blood pressure dropped, you kind of almost passed out, right? Okay. And then Zach's blood pressure is like not showing up. The you baby? Know, yeah. So like there's like his the heartbeat's basically not gone, but like so faint, right? You know. Wow. And so so I'm sitting here saying, okay, this is it. Not only am I gonna lose my wife, but I'm gonna lose my son, you know, simultaneously. And I think so that was one time. And 
and it was really hard. I mean, it was a big deal. And Were so, you in the rooms? Oh, like, oh yeah, yeah, They yeah. kept you, they yeah. let you stay. It's not like ER or yeah, Grey's Anatomy no, where they push yeah, you out. Yeah, they didn't take, it, and here's the thing. It probably only lasted like a minute, but it felt like a year. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you hear that conversation about like, it was thir- this, the worst 60 seconds of my life, but it seemed like, you know, so, so that was a big scary moment for me. And, and the second time, honestly, was, and I can't remember, I, I cannot, you've had so many surgeries, I can't remember when it was, but there was a surgery where... I've had 11. I, I'm going to say it was probably when you had the gastric bypass, because I feel like your dad came and saw me at the hospital, and I was kind of in the waiting room area or whatever, and, you know... 2012. Yeah, and, well, it wasn't even, I don't even know where I was, but I just remember being like, this is taking longer than it should, you know, it just felt... Oh, during, you're waiting for, like, for me right. in the surgery. Right, and... And it's not a, it's not a long surgery, that surgery, which is fascinating to right. me. It's only like an hour, isn't it? Yeah, and I remember, you know, Dr. Garth coming and it was totally... Dr. Garth Davis. It was totally normal, but he was like, hey, let's go in this room, and I was like, oh, gosh. Like, you know, like oh, I had gosh. that feeling of, like... You know, because it's stressful to do a surgery. So they're, they're not coming out with like this big smile, like, hey, it's been so great. We've been like wakeboarding, you know, like it's like we just <laughs> were or whatever people do for fun. I'm not very fun, so I don't know what people do. I guess they wakeboard. I don't know. But um, and again, it was a split second. But again, those moments. Def- so you mean the scary moment was when he said, let's go in this room. Right. Well, I had been waiting and it kind of had been that anxiety of, um, and, you know, I don't know if you've ever done this, but and maybe I'm just morbid. Like whenever my mom or dad, like when we were young, would be late getting home before we had cell phones and stuff. Or even now, like it's like my mom and dad are here. They've both died. So I'm going to plan their funeral. This is what I'll say as the kid. You know, like, but I was. I you was would having, do that as a kid? Oh, yeah. Like, and I would. You would? Oh, yeah. 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 Because what? I because really? we needed to make sure we were ready for it. Like, practically, <laughs> you know, like it wasn't like I was like anxious about it. I was like, well, you know, this is just part of it. So like logically you needed a plan. Right. Right. And so, so, so I'm sitting here in the waiting room for you fast forward again. Right. And I'm like, okay, so we'll need to call people, you know, like, you Are know, you, like as you're walking into this room, you're making a checklist before, beforehand. Right. Like, That's what I, yeah. And then he shows up and he's like, let's uh, go in the room. I'm like, good thing I made the checklist. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. I wrote y'all letters. And that was a long time. Every time yeah. I have surgery, I write, well, especially those, I write some pretty intense letters. Right. Yeah. So. So that was it. They both involved me. Yeah. Well, and your health. Oh, geez. So again, going wow, back to man. like the, the hysterectomy thing, what was so hard is, is you were devastated and yeah. I was here devastated, but also trying to be str- like being like a typical man, like trying to be strong because my wife's, you know, devastated, but. I'm also devastated for myself, but I'm also honestly really relieved because I'm like, that's one less thing. Because when you had your hysterectomy, it wasn't where you are now. You weren't, you were, you were, you were healthier than you were for gastric bypass, but you still weren't healthy. I was really sick. You know, I mean, I was really sick. I mean, remember you had been in bed for a year, basically. That was the whole like, at that point, at that point, I had been in bed almost three years well right it was probably about two because i spent about a year after right. the hysterectomy in bed yeah so right. it was probably about two solid years in bed and in such severe pain around my cycle my cycle was lasting what 17 to 21 days yeah and every day was a heavy day right i went through multiple feminine products look at how well i'm trying to do this you know and the and the super plus kinds um and you, you bought all the boxes. You were like an expert at buying all the things. You're a really good husband. Yeah. I'm so thankful for like self-checkout, you know, because 
<laughs> I mean, because I'm, I'm, I'm tough. You know, I can, like, I can lay down a box of but, tampon I mean, products in front probably... of a man and be like, yeah, that's cool. I'm buying it. But like, did it, you just come buy some tampons, like, I don't know, but two like, days ago? Like, I, I don't mind, like, I, I really like the HEB self-checkout for that because I'm like, yeah, no problem. That's our store. So, yeah. Kroger has it. Yeah. I think everybody has self-checkout. That's really funny. <laughs> but you don't have to do that now. So, yeah. yeah, but we had gone in to have a third baby. Right. And we ha I had nine doctors at the time that were on my medical team. And we had gone through all nine doctors right. and they were all like, yes, yes, yes. And then we got to my hematologist and he was the one that was like, what in the flip is going on? Because my iron was again, fascinating, like bottomed out where he was like, you should be in the hospital. I don't even know how you got from the parking lot into my office. And I was like, barely. And that's why part of the reason why I was in bed so long was the iron was so so bad and then after my infusion because i can only get iron via infusion for the rest of my life i can't i have a uh, medical blood disorder and so i can't get iron from food or from what are those called pills but what do you call it? supplements yeah well not only that but the real and why bypass also makes it hard to get so it's like a, you have a double i problem. have a blood disorder right that um already that affects masks my iron. it and gives you anemia right and then i have gastric bypass and then i had a uterus full of fibroids but we didn't know so it was like this trifecta so any iron i did have the fibroids were eating like like a little like like right. <laughs> like slurping <laughs> and and he was the one that was like where where is all of your iron after my infusion and none of it was there and he was like where are you bleeding from right. and i had developed pica i had pica for 18 months for a year and a half which is something you can Google on the internet. And I think ultimately, I think, you know, to go back to your point, like it's a lot of medical if, stuff. Nate. If we knew the, if we knew you had the mental illness, the anxiety and the depression, I think for so long, your weight, we, we didn't diagnose that your weight was because I think a lot of the mental, the mental illness challenges, right? Like, and I think we're discovering that more and more as we, you know, get So wait, further. you're saying you think I got heavy because of my mental illnesses? Right. That's fascinating because I disagree. Or by, oh, they kind of I like, think it's the opposite. I think I developed, my mental health is where it is because of the weight, because of being morbidly obese and living that life and everything that comes I with mean, it. I mean, I'm not- a, What I'm, fat does to the body, fat cells, but okay, sorry, go ahead. I'm not, a, I'm not a clinical therapist or anything like that, but I would say that I think you were an anxious eater. And I think that the anxiety that you started having naturally as a kid around certain events, right? Hmm. Probably led to you eating out of anxiousness, which it's, it's like many things. It, it's, it, it's not black it, and white. Right, like the anxiety might've been like a, Maybe at different points, the anxiety was more of the reason that you ate. And sometimes your weight was the reason you were anxious, you know, like, and, and so, um, and, and I actually think your weight may have caused your depression. Maybe right. it doesn't make sense, but I think sure. your anxiety may have been the inducer for your weight. I mean, it doesn't matter really why, but I think ultimately <laughs> when, until we discovered after a lot of really big improvements in your health, the, the anxiety and the depression, Forever, it was like, obviously, we're going to treat the weight and the diabetes sure. because that was like the leg being cut off. And you're like, hey, before we before we worry about the rest of it, we're going to make sure the leg stops bleeding. Right. And that mm -hmm. was kind of the obvious like piece. But, you know, being next to somebody and watching them suffer. I wish I had known earlier that you were struggling with the mental illness because I think it would have probably one made me a better spouse 
right? To have been able to not been so judgmental and been like, why can't you figure this out? This is not hard. Or, and I think also it probably would have led to a lot less disagreements because we're not real big fighters. You know, it's not really our big no, thing. We, we really don't, don't, but, but we definitely like are annoyed sometimes with each other, right? You're annoyed with the way I do things. And I'm like, I can't believe that's the choice you're making, you know, and, <laughs> in a judgy way. And it, yeah. And I don't necessarily say it out loud that way, but I definitely show it. Cause I'm also somebody who's not able to hide what I think. Right. <laughs> no. Yeah. So, um, but, uh, that's a whole different episode probably. So, so looking back at things that happened in our marriage, the way that I would react or the way that I would treat you or the way that I would speak to you or to the children or to myself, or I don't know, plug in anything and getting the diagnosis of this extremely severe anxiety. What were your feelings? Were you angry? Were you relieved? Were you happy were you sad were you all of it did you understand it i mean i think to be honest knowing that you had anxiety and then depression made, made it a lot easier for me to help with the kids and say mom's not angry like that because she's angry she's angry like that because she's anxious like there's a lot of rage yeah i mean that like, comes with anxiety like people don't know that that's anxiety like even the like i mean I mean, I'll, I'm sure our kids will remember this too, but like when we got the, again, the old house, you know, which with the steps, you would scream, like they would say, Hey, I'm coming down. And they're just like coming down. Oh, and you're yeah. like, and you'd scream at them. Like, it's not, she's not mad at you. She's just anxious that you're going to fall and die. <laughs> okay. But in all fairness, it's a scary the steps. steps in our old house are horrible and they were built after the house. Like it wasn't in the original plans they're very cool steps but not very well they're very steep yeah. and then and at the end they are slippery and at the end is cement and so we've had more than one person fall on those steps yeah they've all lived though okay that's how i look at it they all lived wow. yeah that's great okay so signing up for marriage mm -hmm. and your spouse has mental illness and you don't know it do you think that's grounds for annulment? What would you say to a couple that is really struggling with the other, you know, one half of them is really sick and struggling with their mental health and, and it wasn't disclosed before the marriage happened. So not like they're high. I didn't know. I didn't know what I was fighting all my life was mental illness. Right. Well, I think, first of all, you have to start with the, the first question. I think before that question is just because you have grounds for annulment doesn't mean you have to do that. Right. I mean, we, you know, we've done a lot of marriage counseling. We've had some really intense moments where we have both at different times of our marriage absolutely had grounds for annulment, right. which annulment means that the marriage never happened to begin with that. Um, well, first of all, we're not, we're not. We're not Catholic theologians, so we don't okay. know. We're not but, yes. but I'm saying like where where they wouldn't. It have would like, seem reasonable that we could have gotten an annulment. Well, no, I'm saying you could have filed the paperwork. How right. about that? Right. How about that? You could have bothered we, everybody. We, for we've an had email. An, we, we've had yeah, dramatic. We've had dramatic enough moments in our life. Sure. For from we you you and I have both made mistakes. Yeah. Big enough to where if you went and told a third party, they'd be like, "I understand why you did that," and in both cases, you and I made the decision to stay. To to have mercy yeah. and forgive. Right. And what was really important about that was you and I both saw that 
it, when it was me that was making those choices, I was not me. I was my sin at that moment. And my sin was controlling me. And I think people get lost in that. Like, we forget that we're all sinners, that we make really bad choices that many people could say are unforgivable. And, you know, when that happened on your side, you know, and you made choices, I had two choices. I could be like, I can make the really hard choice of forgiveness and mercy, or I can be judgmental like so many other people, which I'm normally judgy, which is funny. I'm, 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 I'm like a, like a, like a shallow judger. Like when it comes to the really important things, I'm <laughs> very, true. I'm very seldomly judgy. I like judge you cause you had ruffles and you had three instead of two ships. And I'm like three, really? Like, or, you oh, know, chips. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I automatically thought ruffles like on a dress and I was like, that's an interesting. Sure. You meant ruffles yeah. potato well, chips. You're judging Got me because okay. I wasn't even talking about ruffles. I was a little like bit concerned. Chip. I was like, <laughs> I don't think I've ever worn a ruffle in my life. Okay. Eaton. Yes. I love me a good ruffle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I see what you're saying. But yeah. But when it comes to the big stuff, man, Nathan, you were like, you are solid. Right. You are everything that people read about. You are everything that is taught in actual theological classes. You literally come off the pages, not just of Catholicism stuff. I'm talking about like life stuff. You are the most ethical person I've ever met. And I, I mean that. Like it has nothing to do well, with you're being very kind. in love with I'm you. I'm sure there's no, more people has, that are ethical than me. But. I don't think so. But you really are. You really come off the pages. And um, but yeah, but the other stuff, dude, you're the worst. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I you're think, like ridiculous. Yeah, and I think what's important too is is that like, you know, you're a very public person. So you know, any public disclosure of your faults allows you to be judged. And you do a really good job of saying, you know what? Before you know. I'm going to tell you all of them. Right? <laughs> I am the worst. And I tend to be like, I don't need you to know that I'm broken. Right. And so I don't tell, I don't share that. That's, I mean, I have big pride issues. Right. And so I have no pride, but like, I don't fear this big disclosure. Like if somebody ever was able to get into your brain and figure out all the things that I've done, you've done or that, all the things that you've done or the, all the things that I've done. Yeah. How would you feel about either side? Either side. Disclosure. I would have a really, I would have a really hard time with me being disclosed because of how it would, how it would be, how it might affect others, right? Mm. Um, I really don't care how you think about me. Like we know this. Like I'm, yeah, you know, know, like um, we care how I think. About well, if, yes, you. You're the only person. <laughs> you and the kids. Basically, if you guys care about me, I'm good. Otherwise, I'm okay. Um, but, but if anything about me, but if stuff stuff came out public about you, I think first of all, what people need to know is. There is, I mean, it, there's a possibility, a minute, minute possibility that I don't know, but I know all the bad things. Everything. Every, you know absolutely everything I, about me. Everything. Yep. That's the nice thing about therapy is it treats, you know, and, and spiritual direction and... But I'm a really honest person. Yes. To like, a fault. Right. Like, even if you lie, you eventually... I can't do you it. Can't, you, you, I can't do you it. You can't survive. I can't survive. Lies. Like, you know what I'm saying? And so, yeah. like... My spiritual director because Because me. you are truly good... Yeah. And people take advantage of that all the time. Yeah. And that, and, and this is the funny thing. Like, I don't get mad at people ever. Um, but when someone hurts you, I am like, I'm going to cut somebody. Right. Like, and then, <laughs> I'm the Italian, but I tell you what, Nathan is like Michael Corleone. He's like, listen, I'll give you about a three second run to hop in the trunk that I'm going to put you in to the bottom of the Hudson. But here's what, <laughs> here's why I'm not like Michael Corleone. Cause like, no, like I often, I often confess it. I'm thinking these things that I know are wrong. 
I mean, I want this person to feel the pain that they've caused you, like my wife. You know, I, um, I don't care if people hurt me because I'm like, I could care less about you. But I care when people hurt you because I think you're somebody who really... I care a lot. Emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. I feel it in my bones. And so, like, I have a really hard time with people that treat people who are really emotional badly. Um, my first response is, is bring that to me, you coward, right? Because obviously you can only pick on people that are weak. Come deal with somebody strong and get ready to learn what it means to deal with a real man or a real woman, right? Um, I think ultimately the thing is, is that what you, what I continually reflect on is, is that the justice that I seek is nothing compared to the justice that God gives out. So when I'm really angry at somebody like, even like again, worst case scenario, let's say I killed somebody, right? Because I was trying to be just, that's completely irrelevant compared to the justice. I mean, eternity is a whole lot longer than the five to six seconds of fear that I caused somebody to hurt them. You know, and not that I think you should hurt anybody or anything like that. No. But, but I'm just trying to give you like... But you deal with anger and I don't. Like, I, right. I never, ever deal with anger. Like, I just don't even feel it. It's probably the only time I can kind of relate to you of not having an emotion. <laughs> I don't have the emotion of anger. Like, not in the real way. Not in... Now, explosive and reaction... Yes, I do that. Passion, but not like you. No, I, no, I agree. I do you think, know what I, I mean? Think, I, think, I think if you ask the kids, like, who gets angry? Oh, they're probably saying They me. would absolutely say you. Totally. But what people but don't understand don't is, is that, like, and, and I remember one time I it's said something, like, just because I haven't expressed how disappointed I am in you <laughs> doesn't mean that I don't think you're an utter disappointment. <laughs> oh, and, so and, and the person was like, I think I feel worse now than I did before. And I was like, yeah, I, I get that. But, like, <laughs> that's what Nathan's but it's the at. truth. Yeah. And they're like, Oh God, like, like, and so what I tell people all the time is, is that, you know, you'll, you'll say you're the most ethical person or you're this, this is like, you don't realize how much I'm fighting internally that God knows, right? God knows. You're like the Hulk. You are. Yes. Like right now, like even just thinking back about the people that have hurt you, I'm like inside. But here's what's fascinating about you, Nathan, you, and what's, what's interesting is that we met at 15 right? We became best friends at 16 and we've been best friends since 16. I mean, we literally act like best friends. We've never lost that with us. Right now. Of all the things we've lost and done and hurt and mistakes and whatever. And by the way, we have a pretty bad A marriage. Yeah, but I think it's important. I just want to put that out there. Right. I mean, I, I, I think I'm just saying we also have, okay. Yeah, we're, we're bad A, but I think it's important to understand that even bad A marriages go through the unthinkable. Sure. And I think that's what makes you a bad A marriage. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's going good. through the unthinkable and coming out of it. Yeah. And being even stronger. And that is so us. And we've always been that way. And so, but we've all, but, but we've always maintained a best friendship. Right. Always. And I think it really has a lot to do with how opposite we are. That's really where I see it compliment us. I feel like it doesn't compliment us always as a married couple. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. We have but, a little bit of conflict. Yeah. <laughs> but as best friends, it's always, I think, like, I think it's really kind of what makes us stand out of the crowd. Like, it's one thing to be like, I mean, I'm your best friend, but like, we legit were best friends for a long time. And so at 17, we started dating, but you were this guy of justice from the day I met you. And in high school, like, I'm so proud of you multiple times. 
So proud of you. One, in high school, you know, you went to a different high school than I did. You were the captain of your football team, and you went to a predominantly black school. Right. I mean, it was, I went to pretty much an all-white school. I mean, like, come right. on. Like, right. for real. Um, every, like, teen movie you see, that was my high school. You know, with the token, whatever kid, and then everybody else is white and privileged and lots of money. And you went to a... I guess it was probably, I mean, if we're no, really no I have to say I, my school was, I think the ideal, like we had oh, about, yeah. about, about 30% Hispanic, about 30% black, about 45% white, you know, and then other. Right. And I mean, yeah, I was the captain of the football team, but I was really like, like we had like these sub captains. Like I wasn't like the captain. I was like, just the, say uh, the captain. Yeah. But you say it, it, it just, matters to you way more than me. Does. I don't care about titles because I would tell you that I like, care you know, guys like Jason Boyer or Vince Sebo or, you know, Ladera Hunter and DeMuncie, all these guys that like, they, they were the real people that I would consider like the captains. I was a quiet, like, you know, I was the smart book kid, you know, that everyone, you know, was annoyed by most of the time, but. All right. So you're on the team. Right. I'm on the team. You're one of the only white guys. Yeah. No. Well, again, it was about third, a third, a third, you know, so it was, was it? yeah, it wasn't like, but we were very, like, you know. Well, you guys were really intimidating to us because we, we were just a bunch of white kids that. Found football, I don't know. Their dad probably made it or something. Well, like, and you, and got it from an NFL guy. And we're like, oh my God, we're a football team. And then we would play <laughs> you guys and y'all would eat us alive. Like you would just annihilate us. Right. And we, we you know, I'm with this group. We're having, I'm hanging out with these guys now. We just talked about how like- You I, have a virtual hangout every week. Right. Your old football team from high school. The way I viewed Klein high school where you went is the way the kids from Rushwood and Camden Park, where a lot of the Hispanics and African-Americans were from, viewed old oaks where I live from and the girl, the people from Klein viewed old oaks, like, ew, you know, like, and so you're saying like perspective is everything. Yeah. And, and, and really we viewed like Aldine and HISD the way you guys viewed These us. These are all Houston things. So only Houston people are going to approach, appreciate that, la that one minute of <laughs> right commentary, but okay. So here's the deal. You were at this thing. That's very popular here in Northwest Houston. It's a crawfish. What is it? Crawfish boil. Right. Is it? It's a festival right. at Old Town Spring, and it's but it's well known. I mean, people from all over Houston come, right. not just our side yeah. of town. And you're in high school, and y'all are all wearing Westfield jackets, and most of everybody you were with that day were black, right. except for you. Right. And these crappy people, right? Which I do not mind saying. I'd like to say something else. Start saying. Well, you can tell it. You were there. I, I mean, they basically said all the things that you don't want to repeat you know, like about African-Americans and it was in, and they it, start just shouting yeah, insults. Yeah. Well, they started a fight and, you know, and here's the thing, like, you know, I'm one of those guys, I, I wasn't a really good, I mean, I was not a big fighter, but like I had a really good friend of mine who was a really strong, really big guy. And I remember we, we kind of got into, it was a high school fight, you know, it wasn't like anything major, but at the time it was like a really big deal. Right. And this guy comes in and basically cleans house with all these, I'm going to just say country Red bumpkin Red yeah. Nicks, you know, totally. that, um, who liked crawfish too. Um, but I've but always, you defended them. That yeah. Day. Yeah. I've always been somebody that will stand up. How old were you? Probably 17, 16. I don't, I, don't, I can't remember. Well, I was able to drive. So I was at least 16. Um, but I probably wasn't 17 because I don't know. I don't know. But I always loved that. I always loved that you, even when we were young, you would go to the defense of the person who was weaker, who was, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. like that's just, that is just part, I'm kind of honestly surprised that you didn't become a lawyer 
Because that just seems like what you would have done. Like, did you ever think about being a lawyer? Because when we were in high school, you wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. Well, this is going to sound really weird from a kid who was, you know, living in Old Oaks and, you know, basically pretty standard, like, modern American suburban white kid, right? But, like, I always really, like, maybe didn't act out the way I should have, but, like, I had, like, a mad level of respect for Martin Luther King and what he did. And I would often think in my head, like, you know how like a lot of kids will dream about being a superhero. I would dream about like, could I be that person that stood up? You know, I've often- He was like one of your heroes? Yeah, like like the fact that he like, you know, took abuse and like, again, and as I came into Catholicism, I started looking at like, could I be Joan of Arc? Could I be these saints that were basically martyrs, right? For the cause and- and I, I feel like I've always been blessed with courage. Not, like I said. That is your gift. Not much, you know, you, you are, you have so many different gifts. I feel like I have, no, I, I feel like I just have courage. Like I have I'm, joy. I, yes, you have joy, but you have a lot of other stuff. Okay. Too, what, it's not about you. It's about me, it's right? Not, it's, it's all about exactly me right, right now. Let's focus on the important <laughs> guest that's on the show, you know? Sorry. I'm so sorry. So. Yes. No, that is one, that is from day one that I met you. Courage is, you were the coward of the lion, but. Not cowardly. Right. <laughs> I will, but I will, oh, I, I'm a big introvert, but I will try to overcome that and be courageous. I would want you in a dark alley over anybody I've ever met. That's the truth. Right. Because, yeah, I mean, not just in the whole physical sense, but that has just been your thing. So then when you go to Baylor, you went to Baylor University for one year right. before you transferred to Texas Tech where I was, which my big joke is... Because the academics are so much better at Texas Tech. Okay, listen, you don't have to go to like live in the state of Texas to know that that is not true. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, Red Raiders, bang, bang. Well, let's just be honest. But Baylor Since is amazing. After I, mean, I left, it on. all went downhill. <laughs> like Baylor, true. I mean, you can't really make that joke now because Tech might be as tech good as Baylor. Be. That know. is true. We definitely didn't kill anybody on our basketball team. Oh, so I feel man. like, you know, we're in yeah, pretty good shape. Yeah, poor Baylor. Okay, well, back in the day. Right. So, you know, Baylor is a private university. Right. Tech is a public one that's in Lubbock <laughs> in the panhandle. So, you know, buddy holly lived there and that's about all we know so you're at baylor and something happens in the paper in the student paper is that because you know like no, 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 no. what no, no, what was no, no, it no, no i love this story yeah so we're a baptist university and this is not a criticism of baptist people this is really a criticism of christians in general overall right? yeah 100 so we're at a christian university we're not allowed to have girls in our hallway past actually period okay we're not allowed to dance at this time at Baylor, yeah they right? hadn't opened right. the dancing yet but you were there for the first dance. but i get but i go to the bathroom and it's just covered with like inward this inward that like you know and in particular parts of the hallway where more African-Americans would go to the bathroom. So there were black students in your hall? Yeah. There could have been a lot of black students at Baylor in 95. Not in the general, what I would call a general population. There were obviously, you know, a lot of African-Americans on the football team. Like, but in back then we still had like sports dorms or sports Okay, were you on a sports dorm? No, no, but there were there were some kids that went to Baylor that didn't okay. play sports. Right? So in this particular part of your dorm, a lot of the kids are black, and then the N-word is written all over the bathroom. So obviously they're going to see it because it was community bathrooms. Right. Because Tech had community bathrooms. Right, right. Okay. It was a, yeah, it's community bathrooms. So they're going to walk in the bathroom, they're going to see the N-word, just right. whatever. And this cool. was probably pretty early on. This must it have been like... This was early in your freshman year. Yeah, and so I wrote a letter to the paper. Okay. To the school paper? To, to the school paper. that we. You know, so you just sat down as a kid... 
Right. And 18 I just, years old and wrote a letter to the school paper. Right. Like, how did you think to do that out of all the things you could do? Well, I think, to be honest, I was pretty sick and tired. Like, I mean, again, I don't know what Baylor's like today, so, like, let's don't... This isn't about Baylor. Yeah. Yeah. But, okay. but, but, it, but it is because it's about, it's about the environment, right? So, like, okay, I, I, the best thing that ever happened to me as a Catholic was going to Baylor because for the f- whole year I was there, I had to take two... Um, religion courses, biblical studies. And the entire first semester, I was told that as a Catholic, I was going to go to hell because of all this stuff. And I started calling your mom, who's my sponsor, you know, uh, confirmation Confirmation sponsor, sponsor. and asking all these questions. And I learned a ton. But the context of that's important because here I am being told I'm going to go to hell because I believe in Jesus and I take the Eucharist. Yet it's totally cool to lay down the N-word throughout the school. Now, Again, even as an adult, I'm sitting here saying, where was the custodial staff that yeah, every ridiculous. day that wasn't washed off? Every day it wasn't painted over? Because you're telling me that no custodian went in there to clean the bathrooms and didn't see it? Come on. So but, you wrote a letter. So I wrote a letter saying, we call ourselves you know, Christians and this you know, whole Christian university thing, yet we're acting out in this way, right? Yeah. And this was, I mean, let's be honest, I wrote a letter. It's not like I like through a protest. Okay, you're 18 you know, and but, a guy and it's, and, and there, you know how many students were at Baylor that didn't write a letter or thought to do it? I don't know if that would have been my first thought right. of how to handle that situation as a teenager, as a freshman in college. I'm not sure that's what I would have done. And you, I didn't even know about the letter until right. it got printed. And right. then like you, you were like, Hey, they printed my letter in the school paper. So continue. Yeah. And so, so how cool is that? Not only did you write a letter, but then they printed it in the Baylor. Well, University the cool part is they paper. put my name on it. So, you know, yeah. Like, so what happened yeah. to you? Well, I mean, a lot of people didn't like it. Right. And what did they do? They said, you know, they, they would add the graffiti change the, the graffiti, to yeah, yeah, Nathan like, is an N word and Nathan is an N lover. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and all that. And yeah. can I tell you, I don't think I've ever been more proud right. in my life. How did, what was your feeling when you saw your name next to that word and next to love and next to whatever, like, were you scared? Were you proud? Were you mad? Okay, were you I'm going to go back to, I've only been scared twice in my adult life. So I wasn't <laughs> scared of anybody. And, and, and by the way, now I will say this at my dorm in Penland, there were not many people that were physically bigger than me. I wasn't, okay. I wasn't scared of any of these kids. So right? how'd you feel? Were you proud? Were you like, man, I got to them? I, I really didn't feel anything. I mean, that's back to the problem with me. I didn't like, I was like, okay. Like, and, and I remember a few people confronted me and I was like, can you give me a different answer for why you think that? Like, You're so solid. I, this is what's so great because during quarantine i've been really honest about i have been going through the most dark and horrible time and i keep telling about it it's been the worst year of our marriage um that we've ever had to experience and none of it has to do with covid (laughs) none of it has to do with what's going on in the world it has to do with um our marriage and, and i gotta own it it has to do with me and we're in a really great space right i'm in a a healthy space mentally for the first time in maybe a few weeks how long because you're the one that really knows the things that i've been going through i'd say a good two weeks (laughs) maybe three see i always think it's a lot longer like oh my god i'm like doing so great before thanksgiving okay okay so yeah yeah you're right so um it has been 
really challenging this year for me and really challenging for you this year and for different reasons, both of us. Has it been harder to watch me suffer or has it been harder for you to deal with what you've had to deal with? So here's the interesting part. Like, in the parts that you've had, I feel like I've been able to help you. Like, here. You have, you've, right. Let, let me, hold on. Before you say any more, not just help me, you literally have saved my life. That is, I, now I exaggerate, people think all the time, but they'll believe you. So is yes. that true? Yes. It, it's. Did you save my life this year? More than once. Yeah, you did. Um, and I would tell you, I think the problem with, it hasn't been hard. It hasn't been hard to watch. I mean, it's been hard to watch. That's not, that's not fair, but like, but I feel like I've been able to do actionable things. What's been hard for me is a lot of the source of your problems can't be addressed. Mm-hmm. And I'm the guy that wrote the paper article that put his name on it. It said, hey, all you 13,000 uh, basically hillbillies that are writing this stuff in the... I haven't been able to have that moment. because what You I can, can't get up and do the justice that you want to do. Right, because here's the thing. The same person that writes an N-word, I'm not going to try to trivialize that for the person who's an African-American who hears that. But I also don't want to take away from the fact that when people take advantage of others they really are making them feel worthless like that word makes those people feel. And so for me, I wasn't scared of retribution or people coming back at me because when you're right, when you're speaking truth, like, I mean, this is, it's so cliche, but I can do all things through Christ. If I was given the opportunity to talk to people or deal with situations in a way for you, I know that they would be afraid because they would know how wrong they were. And I also know equally that it doesn't matter what they think because people are weak. Our bodies are weak. You know, today, you know, during mass, when they talked about spirit, soul, and body, I, you know, it's so funny. I never thought about spirit. And that's the part when they talk about Jesus. We had mass at our home today and a friend of ours came, who's a priest obviously came and has been saying mass for us because I can't leave because I'm so high risk. And Nathan has arranged for this to happen. And he gave his homily on that. We have body, soul, and spirit. And, and And that spirit part is what holds me back from wanting to wish intense amount of harm to people who hurt you. Because when I do that, I'm ultimately wishing that harm to God because God is Mm -hmm. in every single one of us, including Hitler, Osama bin Laden, or the people that hurt you. Right. And that's how, in my mind, as your husband, they're the same level, right? Like Hitler and people that hurt Olivia, same way. Right. You might remember in July, 2020, I had a live on-air audition with Sirius XM Radio, the Catholic channel. It did not go as I hoped because I didn't get the gig. I ended up going into a deep, dark depression when Sirius cut me. 
and I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I no longer had a goal. I no longer had a dream. I stopped professionally working for 50 days and I went down a spiral. And then I found The Woman's School by January Donovan. I joined a masterclass that began August, September, and we meet twice a month and we'll meet for six months. That class has changed my life. I have a dream, I have a goal. Everything has shifted and it's for every woman, no matter where you are, stay-at-home mom to professional. Starting in January, 2021, I will be a strategist with my own small group mastermind or one-on-one. I would love for you to join me. Contact me for more information at theliveharrison.com, which is my website. You can fill out the newsletter form or email me, live, L-I-V, at theliveharrison.com. Come and join my group or one-on-one. I would love to help you find your goals and dreams. But I think that's part of me being like, you know, as we come into that, what's hard about that is, I feel like that's where I've led as a spiritual head, mm-hmm. right? You know, we were kind of talking about that earlier. I don't necessarily lead with like the crafts or like, hey kids, let's okay, do Okay, so, yeah. okay. Yeah, you know. So yeah, going back to, we had this conversation during the Texans game. Right, well it was that, <laughs> it was that bad. We needed to talk about some kind of leadership because the Texans <laughs> didn't have it. So. And I said to Nathan, I said, I had a revelation today during mass. And this all ties in together about you being this person of justice, you being a person of ethics, you being, I say all the time, your gift is not only courage. I have never met anyone with the fruit of goodness in the most pure way in my life than Nathan Harrison. You are absolutely purely good. Like every You haven't met met any saints because I'm not saint level. Just stop. Okay. He is so good. And so during mass today, I'm at our, uh, we're at our home and I have really struggled Uh, and it has been very difficult for me. Again, this isn't about COVID or my mental illness. My mental illness does not make it easier. In a lot of ways, COVID happening has been probably the best thing that happened for me in a ton of ways, but especially for me to heal over everything that's happened for me to fix some internal work. Like Nathan is so strong, as you can hear, he's so solid. And he came into our marriage with this incredible interior structure, like this skeleton. And I came into our marriage with jello inside. Well, I think it's important too. It's important that that people understand that because of your mental illness, that caused a lot of quote unquote. That's yes. and, and, And to be fair. That's true. You are worth way more than your mental illness, but your mental illness allows you to yes. put yourself in the pit with other people who don't have mental illness that live in the pit or situations because you've always been, and I've said this, true. no matter who it is, I go to the gutter. You, you're like, he says this. you're like, rather than grabbing people and lifting them up, you're like, I'm going to get down there with you yeah, because I want you to feel, I, I want you to feel important because I don't feel important. And so, that's right. So when people come see me, I'm like, get your out of the gutter. Yeah. Like I'm, I am not getting down there with you. And that can also be bad too. That's got its own problems. No, like, but that's that's a very fair. No, that's a very good point. But when and we, it doesn't come out of like it's not out of intention with me or like malice. It's out of naivety, and it's out of uh, wanting to be loved and accepted and validated. Well, but I think it's important too when you look at sin, right? We talk yeah. about grave matter, mm-hmm. full intention and full knowledge. Correct. Well, I would argue that 
when you make sinful, even today, even small things, when you make sinful things, when mental illness plays in there, it doesn't take away the responsibility for it, but I do think it may take away some of the intention because I don't believe that, I, I know that when you hurt people, whether you get mad at me or you do something, I know your nature is never hurt. No. Right. You, you want to, your, your biggest problem is you're trying to make everybody happy. So you wind up making everybody unhappy. Right. And, and so, or I do a good job making people happy. Right. And, and then you and can, then and then I, and then I'm not happy. Right. That's kind of really right. more what happens. Right. So, so yeah. So this year has been a year of healing. I've been in right. a lot of therapy. I've been in a lot of treatment. I've been in a lot of co coaches and changing my life and moving forward, pro, mm -hmm. you know, propelling forward. And the, in October, we all thought I was doing a lot better actually mentally. And in November, we thought it was even better then. Two things happened in October. Well, one thing happened in October, one thing happened in November. And both kind of knocked the wind out of us. Like we didn't see it coming. We weren't prepared. It was kind of like, wait a second, is Liv actually getting better? Are things actually better? Are we healing? Is, is her depression something that is manageable? Because the depression's been really, really bad. And Nathan, without talking to me, contacted this priest that we know who had come to our home in April and to come when we moved to this house, like in August and blessed the house and, and had done mass for us and set up for him to come for the remainder, remainder of the year and said, could you please come to and do mass at our home? Give us confession, spiritual direction, things like that. As often as you can, not only has he been, this was his second time through Advent. He couldn't come last week, but he's coming on Christmas day. And any other time that he can come. And I was sitting in mass today, which was outside <laughs> at my house. And I looked at Nathan and I'm, I also got the, um, what is that called? The sacrament of healing today. And I looked at Nathan and I, and I thought to myself, this is what being the spiritual head of the household means. And I think it gets really confusing as wives and mothers because I, have been doing all this work for Our Lady of Guadalupe and like making special food. And then like today's St. Lucy and I have like crafts and I have like DDD and like, you know, what just happened St. Nicholas day. And I do the shoes and I do the Christmas shopping. And as much as I'm not a very good traditional wife and mother, I do, I do these things and I love it. And I'm all here for it. I'm like, yes, feast days. And I do all this stuff. And Nathan, it's never occurred to Nathan or, you know, the novenas we're doing, we're doing the St. Andrew's novena every day. And we've done some other novenas during this time. And I think a lot of men get the, get the, get the, whatever, <laughs> I don't know what to call it from the wives of you're not the spiritual head of the household. You're not da, 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 because we're doing all the crafts. We're doing all the food. We're doing all that, you know, getting a right dress for mass. And for the first time in my life as a married woman for 20 years, I looked back and I saw this is what it means to be the head of the household spiritually. A man who has seen his wife drowning, who has literally given, given her mouth to mouth multiple times to bring her back to life, who has been so supportive and loving, arranged for her to get the sacraments and the blessing of mass and a priest at their home because she can't leave because of COVID. And I tell you what, Nathan, it's like those are the stories of like it just it hit me in my chest. I was just blown away at your leadership. I mean, 
you keep a roof over our heads. Like, I think men get kind of called out on stuff that it's like that. This is not quite fair. No. Does it occur to you that you should get out matching plates for someone's birthday? That's not going to happen. Right. You know? But you do all these other things in these other ways. And so what's interesting is that when I brought this up to you during the Texans game, what was your response? I said, well, it was really funny because today when I was sitting in mass, I had this feeling. I was like, hey, I'm hearing a spiritual leader. I made sure that mass happened. Like, we didn't talk about this, right? And I just was like, I was like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the right thing, right? Like, you know, like, because um, I'm not great at it. I don't I always remind us to pray or even when we do pray, I usually yell at the kids for not being respectful enough and like lost the whole point of it. So that's not my gift, right? My gift is to do things like what I did, you know, and I'm a big doer, you know, I like to try to accomplish that. And no, I think, you're a big leader. And you said that today. Right. You, well, you that's said, true. And I think that's a very, that was a really man, good that's line. a really good point. So like one of the, going back to like bringing this full circle back to Boy Scouts, we teach people how to be leaders. And one of the big problems that a lot of leaders have is that they think that means they need to be the best doer. And that's really not true. A leader enables their people that are following them to shine and to do all the tasks that need to be accomplished by heading into battle, leading together, you know, and well, um, here's the thing. I, th- I, I would also like to put out, like, I think being a leader is surveying the land, finding what problems or obstacles are coming up and, and giving the solution and telling the solution to the people that they're leading. And I feel like as men, and I'm going to talk for men for a second, they get blamed a lot for coming at women with, let me fix your problems. Mm-hmm. Am I wrong? Absolutely. I mean, do you hear that from other guys that they're like, oh my gosh, anytime I open my mouth, my wife's like, I don't need you to fix my problem. I just need a vent. I just want to talk. Right. And, and I think it's so funny. We ask men to be these leaders, right? We ask them to be the heads of our household and be these spiritual leaders and be whatever else that we're asking them to be. And then the second they talk to us as women, we're like, oh no, do not even come at me with your solving I didn't ask you to solve my problem. Who are you to fix me? I don't need you to fix me. Right. Have you heard that before? Not from you, because you you <laughs> would make that kind of choice. But I've heard others. Okay, be honest. Say, I've heard others. No, say, no. Yeah. Be truthful. Yeah, I've heard that a few times. Maybe every day. Do you hear that daily? I think I might have heard that before we got like here. <laughs> but it's fine. But what if what if men are more leaders than we allow them to be? Well, I mean, that's this is a whole different podcast. Yeah, we're not going to be able to. Co- but, we're going to have to wrap. But this I will up, tell you but... that the like the Ephesians five concept gives men a really bad rap, and it's like you know, hey, wives, be submissive to your husbands. I would tell you that if you're a leader, your wife wants to submit. They trust you. That's what that's what that really means. What is the other half of that verse? Men love your wives like Christ loves the church. So if he's loving you like Christ loves the church, why would you not do what anyone said? Right. Anybody. Yeah. Like that's really applicable to any human. But I but I think even going further back to like not the Christological concept of leadership, but like a good leader, they take no credit. Right. And when they see people that they're leading make mistakes, rather than throw them away, they build them back up. They teach them, they go back and say, You made a really bad choice. A choice that some people might not keep, but you know what? You're you're blessed. Because as a good leader, I'm not going to throw you away. Mm. And I think that the reason that we have a struggle with leadership is that people think leading is power. You've got a whole bunch of men out there right now who think they're big and bad and tough. 
and they can talk and they can talk and they can talk, but they don't lead. And when they meet leaders, they run away. They're cowards. And so what do they do? They go on the internet and they rip people apart on the internet because they can't meet someone like me face to face. Who isn't keyboard warriors? Is that what they're called? Keyboard warriors. They're bullies. Yeah, yeah. I love bullies. Yeah. I eat bullies for lunch. I seem to attract bullies. Yeah, you're like a, you're like yeah, you're like <laughs> like a magnet like, for bullies, yeah. and then men and women yeah. like all the yeah. yeah. I mean, I am man. And, and and people that know me know that like I don't get mad about much, but like when you when you treat people that shouldn't that have no reason to like need you badly. Like, I mean, I tell this to our kids all the time, you know, if you're cleaning toilets or you're the CEO, you're equal in dignity. That's the problem right. with bullies is they think they're better than people. And the thing is, is they're usually worse. Oftentimes they are. Yeah. And, they're, and, they're, and they're fighting it. And that, again, goes way off that. But, but the whole leadership concept, I think men as spiritual leaders, just like women are very different and make very different sacrifices than men, you're not going to get mad at a woman for doing the things the way a woman does them. But I think right now we're really struggling in society of there have been a lot of bullies and men in power that have abused their role in leadership in the house and in society, right? And unfortunately, that has made, I think, the shift when men do try to be authentic leaders today. Like, hold on, what are you, what are you doing? Like, stop. I'm, I didn't ask for your help. I'm telling you as a powerful woman what I need, and you're not doing it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, mm -hmm. I get that. Like, for what, I don't know, 10,000 years, however long men were in charge, quote unquote. <laughs> I don't know. Because um, we're definitely not today. I mean, we are, but we're not today. It's definitely changing, right? Um, and so you've got a lot of people who are grasping for straws and trying to hold them to that leadership, right? And so what I think women need more of is men that are willing to accept criticism and grow mm. and men that are willing to say as the leader i'm willing to hear what you as quote unquote the follower saying you need you're not saying i mean when you give me a hard time as a wife right like all wives probably do i mean maybe other wives don't right right but you're really trying to say i need this from you right you're not i mean it comes out sometimes not the way i hear it it's the same way right I'm your helpmate. And as your helpmate, I'm going to come to you when I see problems that may come across as judgmental, but I'm trying to save you, right? Because my number one goal as a spouse is to get you to heaven. And if I die along the way, like Christ did, getting you to heaven, then I've loved you as Christ loved the church, right? And that might mean that some of the things that I want, some of the dreams that I want get pushed away, right? But it's worth it, and that's what marriage is, is putting your dreams on hold, and you've done that. We're, we're dealing with this right now, right? I mean, your dreams are coming back to fruition, but this has been a dream of yours forever to be an impact, to make a, to make a difference in lives, and that's a different podcast. But, but this kind of segues into what has also saved me. You know, I walked in, in July with a really great opportunity with SiriusXM and gave it my all. And you were so proud of me. Like that was a really beautiful moment in our marriage. The things you said and shared with me after that broadcast was really beautiful. 
I don't know if I've ever seen you look at me like that before. You were so proud of the work that I did that day. Yeah, you, you're. I'm really proud of you all the time. Well, you're very sweet. But you were, you were just really, I don't know, it was a different light that came through you that day. Mm-hmm. And then, as we know, Sirius moved on and, and was no longer interested in me being a part of what they were doing. You weren't what they were looking for. I was not what they were looking for. <laughs> and just the timing of it all mm-hmm. is when that's when I just disintegrated. Correct. I think I it had was a, it was the final blow. I think I had an emotional breakdown. I would agree. Yeah, I think I really did. And but you did a good job hiding it on Instagram and did Facebook. Did I? I don't think I did I mean, at all. Maybe I, depends who you ask. Some people think you shared too much. I, I knowing what I know, I'm like she barely showed. She showed yeah. you the tip, guys. The tip of the iceberg on the breakdown. I got to see the full iceberg. Like you know, you've been incredible. Uh, I mean, you have been incredible. As any spouse should be. I'm not anything special. Well, you are special, Nathan. We just said all the things you've had to deal with, and and I'd even get to the whole point of what I wanted to ask you today, which, you know, well, I'll get there. I'll I'll end with it. But anyway, one of the other things is I joined this program called the Women's School. Which I'm sure at the time you were thinking, what are we doing? <laughs> I don't know. It was money and it went, and it's not crazy money, but it was, you know, it's significant because it's a buy-in and it's a six month program. Right. And then you started to see me change because I walked in the first time and I say walk, that means I opened up my zoom <laughs> and <laughs> I, the first thing I said to these women, it's a small group. Ex- I chose the small group experience um, with the women's school and, and my leader is Lisa Canning. And I'm her, I'm her 9 p.m., right? 8 p.m. Monday She's, night class? You can never it's get, every other week. You can week. never get time. I don't right. know what it is. Anyway, and we've been working for six months, this little small group. And the first night that, that we met, I told all of them, I don't have a dream. I don't have any dream at all. And it was the first time in my life that I had never had a dream. I always have something. I mean, even if it's like a dream for dinner, you know, like... I, you know, I don't know, or there's a movie coming out that I can't wait, like something. I mean, any type of dream. I don't care what it is. It could be, I had nothing. I, I tell you what, with the serious thing, I mean, because it really was the final straw, my whole life just was gone. I mean, I just disintegrated and I was so broken and I was really honest with them. And these women in this program not only have I ended up with a dream, I have a studio. <laughs> Nathan's probably like, man, that little class turned into something else. Yeah, it was a, it was a incrementally. Ex- <laughs> it was. It went from incremental expense to exponential, but that's a different podcast. But <laughs> I also have other opportunities that have been happening, and like all sorts of things, and I'm going in this new direction, like professionally. And not everybody in my small group has any of the type of professional desires and dreams that I have that have been in there. They all have, it's all different women from different times and different places and uh, culturally and family life and all sorts. Some aren't married. I don't think everybody's married. Anyway, no, they're not. And so it's been so beautiful to see every one of these women blossom and find their dream. And all of them are changing. Every single one of them are changing. Mm -hmm. So then I came to you and I said, I want you to do this class with me. Mm -hmm. And we've started to do the program together as a couple. And it has been what? It's been great because now I'm a very proud woman. (laughs) He's like Joey Tribbiani in that episode (laughs) of Friends. God, we talk about that all the time. 
It has been one of the best things we've ever done as a couple, yeah. actually. Yeah, and I mean, it's not it, written for couples. It's pretty cool that in 26 years, we still have so much that we haven't New done together. New things to talk and about. so many more adventures to go on. And yeah. Like, and, and we're getting to dream and work through we've stuff. We've never done that. We've yeah. never dreamed together uh, uh, as individuals. Like, we've always said things like, oh, we want to go to Disney. Or, oh, we want to buy this house. Or, like, that kind of dream. But, like, this is on a different level. The work that that the woman's school is, is a different level of work. And now they have a man's school right. um, that we want our son to do, Nathan and Zach to do in the spring. But anyway, so it has been really beautiful for us and it's been really incredible for me and watching me survive this year. And now I feel like I'm shifting, although it's only been a couple of weeks, but I feel like I'm shifting into thriving. Right. Do you agree? Yeah, no, I think I think what's important about the, the, the women's school in specifics is, is that one of the reasons I don't think we ever dreamed together was because, to be really honest, I never knew you'd be here. Oh, yeah. Like, wow. And so it's like, I just need to keep going. It, right? We've been in survival and, this whole time. And again, it's been very cr- acute, like really since like severe the last like six to 12 months. Well, even beyond that, but like well, beyond that, I mean, this has been a multi, this has it, been a multi year, multi year. It just all hit a, right. a point. Crescendoed all together. Yeah, there we right? go. Yeah. We didn't start now. It's been in the making, but I would argue that because of all the work you've done as a result of, of the multi year problems that you were dealing with. Right. 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 And seeing you overcome those things, it's the first time, and I think it's, you know, important to say, it's probably the first time I feel like we can dream together because we'll be together. Like, you're, you're getting to a healthy enough place for the first time in your life mm-hmm. that I feel like, number one, you can proclaim that you were unhealthy and yeah. not be ashamed, right? right? But you can also say, I'm starting to find... I'm not going to my toolbox and finding new tools in it. I just need to find the right tool for what I'm dealing with right now. I already have everything that I need. And I think the women's school, like, really helped you unlock a part of you that you never dealt with, mm-hmm. which was profession. Like, for you specifically, not everybody needs that part of it, but for you, you never took yourself seriously. And you were never a professional. Even when you were a professional, you were like, I'm not a professional. This really helped you dream and then... Bringing it back to me allowed us to dream together about where we want to go and how we want to do things together. So, well, I feel like what's really beautiful is that I am, for the first time in my life, starting to have an internal structure inside because I didn't have certain boundaries and certain things that other people on the planet have because I had this physical, which I shared in, in the previous podcast, you know, being 458, I don't have the experiences and things that other people have. You, for whatever reason, have always had this incredible structure, like I said, of of the skeleton inside of worth and esteem and love and pride and just knowing things. Like you're decisive and and I've never had that. And it has been through this program that you can see my my transformation on the internet. I mean, you can go back and listen. You can go back and watch and look at the photos and read what I write. I have absolutely changed. Mm-hmm. And it's what's so beautiful about this program is it it teaches you, this is something that you and I, when we did ministry together, because, we, well, we do ministry together now, mm-hmm. but the ministry when we were dealing with youth, we always wanted to tell them how to do things, not just do them. Like, hey guys, don't have sex till you're married. Right. 
and then peace out, leave the stage. Like people would do all the time. We would tell them, and here's some tips on how to do that. Same with married couples. Here's some tips on how to do what we're telling you. Oh, you guys should have a really romantic, lovely marriage. You know, and then nobody tells you like, how? We don't have those things. And so we wrote a retreat. Like, so what I love about the woman's school, which I mean, they kick our behinds. I'm sorry. We've got good stuff, but this content's ridiculous. It teaches you how. Absolutely. And that it takes the aspirational like and inspirational. Me, sorry. No, yeah. Aspirational, inspirational to practical, tangible saying. This is how you have esteem. Aspire to these this things. Is this how is you how you love. get what you're aspiring yes. to. Yeah. I've never had anyone teach me how to have self-worth. Right. Never. I've had people tell me. That you need it. That I need it, that I, I should, that they see it, that I, they think I'm worthy, like all that kind of stuff. I've never had anyone say, and this is how you go about doing A, B, C, and D. And that's what the women's school does. So when I came to you and asked, can I be a strategist like Lisa Canning? Can I do this? What I really believe has helped you save me. And you said, of course. Yeah. I mean, I think what's great about the, the women's school is it's not religious specific. It, it allows you, it allows each and person. And I'm not teaching anything. Right. I'm just going to be like facilitating, You're guiding. supporting, You're guiding. guiding. Yeah. 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 100%. And, and, yeah. But I'm really excited because this is going into a different space for me. And so as someone that has been here for the whole journey, watching the darkest days of the darkest, knowing every horrible thing about me since I was 15. Okay. Not just in the last three years and having to deal with someone living with someone with severe mental illness, forget all the physical stuff. I mean, good Lord, Nathan, you really are a saint. What do you have to say to a spouse who is dealing with someone that has mental health issues to that person. What do you say on the other side? I would first acknowledge that it's not easy. It's not for marriage is not for the weak. I would argue a lot of people have mental illness, right? So sure. You know, I mean, there's a scale, right? Right. And, and meaning that like, you know, I think for a lot of people, the, the first thing is I just want to leave. I just can't handle it anymore you're probably going to go from one person that has mental illness to somebody else who has <laughs> a different fair. form of mental illness. So like, that's true. So let's fix what we already have versus trying to go find another garden. Right. Yeah. You know, like the second thing I would, I would say is, is that there's a lot of beauty in the components of your life that mental illness have formed. And I seek to see those more than I see the brokenness. Right. I think for someone who is, married to someone with mental illness, they don't realize the grace they're being given to get to heaven. God's giving me an unusual amount of opportunity to sanctify myself by sacrificing, right? And I think the other thing that's really important is, is that what are you reflecting to that person with mental illness, right? I am not perfect. I'm constantly making mistakes and saying the wrong thing and all that stuff. But I think the beauty for someone who is married to someone with mental illness is you have a really amazing opportunity to make an impact in one person's life. And you don't know how that's going to ripple. But I know that when I sit here in front of you in December of 2020, the year of years for so many of us, right? And you know everything. 
to know that I love you more today than I did on January 1st, 2020. And that I have seen you fail in ways that were unimaginable to even me. And I see a lot, right? There's an amazing Casting Crown song because I love to praise and worship and I'm completely different than you. But it's, let's be better in our brokenness together is kind of what it is. And we're both broken, right? And yeah, so we focus on your mental illness for this podcast, but you've saved me so many times, even through your mental illness, right? And therapy is good not only for those who are mentally ill, but for those who are supporting the mentally ill. There have been many times I've said to my therapist, I don't know if I can keep doing this. Like, it just, I don't want to die, right? But I don't know how I'm going to keep doing it, right? And that's okay. Because I don't have to do it. God's here to help me, right? He's here to tell me and support me. And, they, and you know, I never understood that concept of you can only go to God because he's the only one. But this year I've learned that better than ever. Because at times when I was like, how am I going to do it? At times the people that do know that I reached out to them, they need to know that I reached out to them because I was frankly terrified. And I think for a lot of people, they'll say, well, why are you sharing all this? Why are you telling all these people your deepest, darkest secrets? Because I know, to be honest with you, there's a lot of people. I would hope that you have a lot of downloads, <laughs> right? There's a lot of people that need to hear this because we're not the only ones. There's a lot of people that go through what we're going through. We're not really special in that sense. We want to be. No one wants to be special in this way necessarily. But I hope that people see you don't have to give up. It's so, it seems so easy to give up, but I would argue it really isn't because you just start over and starting over is just as hard. And as someone who's married to someone with mental illness, I only wish I knew before we were married that you we were mentally ill so that I could be a better spouse. It wouldn't have changed me marrying you or not. Everything I know today, I'd still be married to you. And I think that's what in good times and bad times, in sickness and in health, mean. And for all the naysayers who say, oh, well, you know, you're just putting another public image on, I challenge you to come talk to me in person. I'd say the same thing. The only reason I'm doing this is because you asked me to. I don't need to tell anybody. Is I, if people know me, I could care less what you think. Really well, actually, I literally could care less what you think because your opinion does not define me. Your, your perception does not define me. I think that's the big difference between you and me. Everyone else's perception defines you. I'm actually relish in the fact that you don't believe the same thing I do because I, I already know I'm right. <laughs> you know, and I think that's where that confidence comes from. And so I... I know this has been a very long podcast for those who have been listening, but I would tell you that I think that if you've stuck around this whole time, I hope what you take away is, is that mental illness and marriage is not something to be scared of, but it's not something to be taken lightly. 
And I promise I know for a fact that if you could get rid of your mental illness right now and never have had it, you would give it away a million times. Because what I would ask you, which I'm not going to because you're trying not to be upset, upset is, <laughs> is I can only imagine the suffering that you have hearing what I say today and knowing what I think, right? Because that's not what you want from me because you love me, right? And I think people unfairly cast drama on people with mental illness. They unfairly say they just want to be the center of attention. They, just, they unfairly say it's always about them. And what they don't know is that most people that have mental illness literally wish they weren't here and that you never knew they existed. And the world would be a much, much, much worse place in my life, particularly without you, if you did that, but for all people with mental illness, because there is, there is some beauty in that brokenness. And most broken things are significantly better when, take, when people take the time to repair them. And you see beauty in a different way. And I hope that that's what God will see from me when I meet him. Nathan, you made a lot of mistakes personally. You sinned a tremendous amount, but I saw you always never gave up. That's what God asked for. He doesn't ask for me to be a perfect husband, although I want to be. He doesn't ask me to be a perfect dad, although I want to be. He asks me to love you with perfection. That's what he's asking me for. So as usual, I got very heavy. I didn't mean to, but... I think everybody is now saying like, why did he marry her? Like, he's so incredible. I'm just sitting here and I'm crying. Well, if anybody I'm asks sitting that, here crying. If anybody says that, and come I'm, tell them to talk to me because I'll be mad that they think that you're perfect. That's why I married you. I can't believe I get that I'm the one that gets to be loved by you. I like it just blows my mind. And I can't believe I'm the one that gets to love you. And I will do a better job because you deserve better. I love you so much. I'm so proud to be your wife. I think you're extraordinary. And I'm not just saying it as a tagline. <laughs> I really, I know how extraordinary you are. And I'm so glad that today, whoever is left listening sees and hears a tiny bit of why I know that. Because you are. You are such a gift to this world. And I love you. Thank you for doing this. You're cute. <laughs> I am very ordinary, but you make me feel extraordinary when you say it. You're not ordinary. You're phenomenal. I would, at this point, say all the places where people could follow you, but you don't want anyone to follow you. So you could plug me. The good thing is, is you can go to Liv Harrison. No, all the Liv Harrison. Do you know all the things? I don't even know. Like I, I just... <laughs> Here's the thing. I am, I am inadvertently on Liv's stuff all the time. So if you want to follow me, you often will see me. There. But if you if people but did want to write you, like if there were some spouses for real, do you want them to write me? You know, and we could put my email. Do you yeah. want to do that? And I can, and then send they can, it on. They, so can, they can DM. You can contact, they can DM, yeah. They can DM you and, and I will. Nathan's very private. And I will screen yeah. people. So <laughs> if you do, if there's any spouses that want to talk to Nathan or to us, if there's married couples that want to discuss things with us, we work with married couples and we have forever. Um, but you can reach us. I'm obviously at all the things that are Liv Harrison. So 
on Instagram, TheLivHarrison. My website is TheLivHarrison.com. And then on Facebook, I think you can even type in TheLivHarrison, but it'll bring you to Liv Harrison, which is the page there. And my email is live at TheLivHarrison.com. <laughs> it's all very whatever. And the women's school, if anybody is interested in joining my small group or doing one-on-one coaching with me, I will now be offering all that, and that will be happening in January as well as I will open that up in January, January 17th. But um, I'm going to be doing a, a five-day free challenge on finding positivity, finally finding positivity in your life, and that'll be at the beginning of January. So we're leaving all those gifts for Christmas. Any last words? I would just say in a year like 2020 where at many times things seemed hopeless, very hopeless for many, right? Or at least, if nothing else, really hard to process. Um, I would say, one, have heroic hope. Have heroic hope. I would also say, never give up. Don't stop. Progress is never linear. Mm. Um, And I have learned more from failure than I have ever learned from success. And so I would say that 2020 means I'm going to be super smart in 2021 because it has been a constant. I'm feeling so much better about us as a married couple. Right. About me as an individual than I have in I don't know how long. And you so probably won't I'm hear. I'm excited. Th- Sorry. No, go ahead. You probably won't hear this very much, but I'm feeling more hopeful as a country than I've felt in a long time. Good. Because I am more hopeful about people. I not about that. not about our it. not about our leaders, but about people. Mm. The people are gonna be the leaders. All right, I love you tremendously. I will love you forever. I will love you beyond forever. Nice. All right, Nathan. You want to say the end line, guys? Thanks for joining. <laughs> you are extraordinary. extraordinary.